and welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. Before we jump in with my guest, I have some pretty exciting news. My new book, Soft Skills I Learned the Hard Way, is out and available on Amazon. I've worked on it for two and a half years, and now it's finally ready for you. I write about many epic fails throughout my career and how I learned from them, so you don't have to. (laughs) And I get deep on soft skills like communication, authenticity, my favorite chapter, by the way, influence, and so many more. This book is a full-on cheat code for how you can differentiate yourself when it matters, like in interviews, trying to get that promotion, or being a first-time leader. If you're listening and you've already purchased, please take a moment and rate and provide a rating or a review on Amazon. It helps with the search algorithms. And as always, thank you to you, my relatable community. So grateful for your support and continued listenership. As of today, we're about 15 countries strong. Now back to the show. Today, I talk with Jason Mills, who is a superintendent for HIT Contracting. As a teen, Jason quickly learned two things. He was not a great student and he liked doing work with his hands. Growing up in a family with exposure to different trade jobs, he chose to pursue a career in construction. Jason gets real about the first company he started and how he would do it over again and gives advice for those that are interested in a trade and may be undecided about what they wanna do post high school that may or may not include college or may be in a moment where they need to pivot their career and could be interested in a trade. Enjoy this episode. so much for doing this with me and for sitting down and talking to me. Absolutely. Uh, it's funny when I, I've been doing this podcast now for almost four years. I don't even know if you know that, yeah, you know that. but I have wanted, like once I met you and like you worked with us and then I always thought you'd be a good person to have on um, for lots of reasons. One, I love your personality, but two, I think given what you do and the work that you do, um, you're the first person that I've had on. I was just telling you this, that is like our first trades person. You work in construction, so we'll talk about that. But I think um, it's fascinating and I, I would love to have that represented. We hope that people that listen are either people that are looking for opportunities in terms of their career and aren't sure what they wanna do. So I'm, I'm really hoping that younger people that are maybe even entry-level talent mm-hmm. are trying to you know figure things out are listening to this. And then other people that are maybe more advanced in age, but are at like a crossroads maybe. And I think what you do, and we'll talk more about that, but I feel like there's a lot of people I know that do what you do on the side or as like a hobby and would never think about actually trying to make a career out of it. So I think it'd be really cool to talk about that and how that's that's worked for you. So let's start with like what your current role is and then kind of what's a typical day in the life. So right now I'm a superintendent for HIT Contracting. We're a commercial company. We're a, we're huge. Yeah. Uh, we are nationwide. I think we've got like 14 offices across the country right now. I'm based out of our Falls Church office, which is our headquarters. Uh, there's probably, I'd say a thousand of us mm-hmm. or 900 of us out of that office. We have about 400 assistant superintendents, superintendents, and then what we call site ops VPs who are there's senior superintendent and then site up VP. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the ranks, assistant, super, uh, 
senior super and then eventually possibly a sign up CP. So that's kind of the, I'm a super. And then uh, typical day is up early on site yeah. by, you know, 530. Um, wow. Typically one of the first guys on the site. Typically one of the last guys to leave the site. Um, we got to be there to make sure that all the trades, we're, we're basically like a um, conductor, right? We're conducting yeah. all the trades to do their job, their portion of the job, their scope of the job. It's hot and heavy in the morning. It seems like you get a break. And then I personally like to walk the job towards the end of the day when everything's slowing down and there's not people in your ear so you can take in the work that's been put into place that day. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's not a lot in the big picture, mm-hmm. but all those little details that go in every single day, you've got to be able to catch them if something goes in wrong now. Mm-hmm. Right? If we catch it now... It's a small mistake. If we catch it two weeks from now, it could be a hundred thousand dollar mistake, literally, right? right? So that's kind of my job is to make sure the trades are putting in their scope and then putting it in place correctly. If there's issues that we they're brought up and we kind of work through them and solve the issue. Are you? It's just interesting as you were talking. Are you someone that has to think like bigger picture and then get very detail oriented and then get big picture or are you always in the details of and the specificity of what is going on so that you don't miss something so yeah my job specifically i've got to be down in the weeds like um as a say site ops vp like right now i'm on the largest interiors job that hit has ever done it's about a hundred million dollar job seven hundred thousand square feet so oh there's 17 soup like assistants to mm-hmm. senior supers and one site ops VP out there. So my job is to get in the weeds, to know all the details, know how everything's put together, and build it. Very schedule oriented, very detail oriented. My boss, Chris Michael, his he's a site ops VP, mm-hmm. so he's not in the weeds as much as I am. He's kind of conducting us. Hey, did you guys? Yeah. Did you guys catch this? Did you catch this? Details that are typically missed and can hurt down the line that from years of experience, hey, we I know there's recess space in these locations. Have you checked the drawings to make sure it either is or isn't there? And kind of just making sure that all of us are putting our piece together so in the end, this huge building comes together. Can you give it, because I'm really bad at this, like how big is that? Can you give it, so can you give it like is, a structure um, that we, if I think Vegas, because so I this, think of like. This building is uh, 30 stories and a typical, I would say a typical building in Tyson's Corner, mm-hmm. Fairfax County area. Floor plates are 20 to 25,000 square feet. You know, that doesn't really answer your question, but no. this is. <laughs> No, so that 30 is, stories helps. 30 that, yeah. stories is it's tip it's it's a taller building, but the floor plates are like forty thousand square feet. So it's a third of the size bigger each floor than what you would typically see in a office building right. in Tyson's Corner in Fairfax County area. How long have you been at HIT? So I've I've been at HIT uh, it was five years in August. Wait, okay. So let me ask this, go back a little bit. is this something you are always good at in terms of like were you someone at an earlier age that you were, and maybe we can talk specifically about like, what your trade was to get into the position that you're in now. Like, are you a woodworker by trade or you, you obviously work in commercial construction now, but what would you say? So I'm a carpenter, a carpenter. or at least okay. I like to call myself a carpenter. Yeah. I started out by working with my uncle, um, during the summer when I was in high school. Okay. And that I definitely am not a 
book guy. Um, <laughs> yeah. I yeah. tried to go to Bradford to do, and I literally went for four weeks, and I like to say I came home with a wife and a kid because I met my wife, and I ended up staying there for four years and working at a deli. Oh, really? So I worked for a few years with my uncle right out of high school, and then decided I didn't. I wanted to do something different, and went to Bradford. Decided I'm definitely not a book guy, and came back and kind of got a job. I think was Mint Building Services was the first like real job out of school I had, and then kind of bounced around a little bit. Can we talk a little bit about that in terms of high school? Were you a good student? Probably not. I mean, and was it a place that you, was it frustrating to, to be in a place where it didn't feel quite right? Or like if it wasn't, there was a pressure? I think I was there for the athletics of it. I think yeah. I was there. It was high school, right? I think if I would have had a little more nudge from my parents, maybe I'd have been a better student. I mean, I wasn't a bad kid. Right. But, I mean... The school portion of it was kind of like, I got to get up and I got to go to school. Mm-hmm. There was no like, hey, you got to go to college, you got to get good grades. So, And there was no pressure for you to go to college? No, no pressure at all. Um, my dad uh, was actually in the elevator union. My dad wanted me to go to the elevator union and I didn't want to do anything my dad was doing. So it's one of those things I look back now knowing what I know about the elevator union and that. And I'm like, that's what I probably should have done, but... What is an elevator union? That's so, like meaning you just. Work so the elevator union. So like in Northern Virginia, we don't, there's not a, unions aren't big down here like they are say up in New York where right. you got carpenters unions, uh, bricklayers unions, mm-hmm. uh, pipe fitters, plumbers, all electric electrical unions. So down here we have electrical union, we have plumbers, we have pipe fitters. Elevators down here are huge. It's a big union. Uh, it's unionized. Anybody that works on the elevators down here is basically in the elevator union and. There is not a higher paid union or tradesman out there. So, really? um, why? If you, it's kind of specialized, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. But they also, everything is, all the companies own their own equipment. And so there's like only customized. Few, yeah, it's kind of customized. But, and then they can, char- I mean, you have to have vertical transportation in a building, right? So vertical transportation. Right. I just right. love it. I know. So you have to be able to get up and down yeah. the building. Yeah. And it's kind of like, yeah, you want that elevator to go from the first floor to the 30th floor? That's going to be X amount of dollars and you're locked in. So those guys could go and you can get in. It's hard to get into the union. But once, like, if you get accepted to the elevator union, I know for a fact right now, those guys with no experience start out at about $23 an hour. They get $13 an hour put into their annuity. So if they retire from the union right now, that's $13 for every hour you work. Mm-hmm. And that's on top of any 401k you have personally or whatever you do. Yeah. Their mechanics are making $55 an hour and with overtime making well over $100,000 a year. Is that so that we're going to get more towards you personally too, but in terms of that lifestyle of being in a trade and excelling right and having a career in that trade what's the predictability of schedule like you know so and I'm wondering by that I mean like as you are starting out and you're more entry level are you at the whim of the project is it always you're at like you said you go in super early Mm -hmm. like are you out really early do your days depend on how effective you are at meeting deadlines you know is there is it predictable so i would say basically any of the unions you go into you go to school once or twice a week that's any of the trades 
at HIT, we have what we call our PE program, which we obviously go to the schools, uh, colleges, and re- recruit, and you can intern for us. Mm-hmm. And then when you're out of college, we have it's a one-year program, and you basically work for a superintendent like myself mm-hmm. for a year. You follow me around. And we have tasks that are from the smallest thing, like it's we, we task you with keeping the field office clean and stocked, right? Because if you can't do those little things, those little mm-hmm. things grow into bigger things, right? It's responsibility. Right. So task from that to entering the daily reports into our pro core system where we know anybody in our upper management can look in there and go, Jason had 89 guys on site, what company they work for, what task were they working on today. Mm-hmm. And then as they move through the year, we start giving them bigger tasks like, okay, here is this corner of a floor. I want you to manage that corner from framing to insulation to electric, kind of how you would build the job, mm-hmm. right? But just a v- much smaller sample. Mm-hmm. And then they're reviewed three times uh, quarterly. Mm-hmm. And then by the I guess their ninth month, HIT likes them to make a decision on whether they want to be in the office, going into the office when they're done with their one year as an assistant project manager, Mm -hmm. or they stay in the field as an assistant superintendent. And then typically, depending on HIT's broken into sectors, government, uh, corporate interiors, uh, life sciences and whatnot, depending on the sector and what the work entails, it's typically a four to five year program mm-hmm. before you become a superintendent or a project manager. Are those only for college graduates or how do you source? So yeah. I actually have a guy, my PE right now is actually 34 years old. So he's a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a college degree and was kind of already topped out where he could be mm-hmm. in his field. Um, and he was working on hit job sites. And was talking to the assistant superintendents or project manager, somebody in the office, and they got them kind of hooked up with our people. And yeah, um, there's an interview process, and then you're selected or whatever. And they thought he'd be a good fit, and so they brought him over. And that's in the program. But like, if if you're if you're somebody that's graduating from high school right now and you're not going to college and you want to work for HIT, do you have people that work for you that aren't college educated, or do so? They- yeah, we do have. There's actually a superintendent, Pedro Cruz, who started out at HIT as a laborer 15 years ago, and worked his way up. And he's a superintendent now. He's been a superintendent for a number of years. Mm-hmm. So, if you've got some hand skills, some thought process, right? I mean, it's no different than anything else in life, right? You got to be able to problem solve, mm-hmm. learn how to read drawings. And if you can put that together, you can build a building. When you um, worked with your uncle, did you know at that time, wow, I really like doing this? Or was it more of a, it's something to do and I'm getting paid? Like, at what point did you sort of connect the dots that you're like, oh, I'm good at this and I like it? Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills, your one-stop shop for workshops, coaching, speaking, and soft skills development. If you'd like to hire Teresa, visit www.tfasoftskills.com for more information. I think when I was working with my uncle, it was more of a summer job mm-hmm. for money. I've always been pretty good with my hands. I like to put stuff together. A lot of guys like me are guys that started out as framers or something, building houses, right? They 
they start out and they're start at the bottom laborers kind of work their way up i never really did that i worked for my uncle and then i went to work for um building services which was more of like a commercial service thing smaller light commercial stuff changing out an exhaust fan in a bathroom I did small things like that um, in apartment buildings, light bulbs, fixtures, setting one cabinet, nothing too challenging. Kind of taught myself through that. Mm -hmm. And then I worked for a builder, a home builder, and was punch out guy, which is the guy who comes in and kind of cleans up everything as it's going together. Like the door's not closing right or the lock needs to be adjusted, point up on walls like the um, dings in the drywall that need to be pointed up a drywall, mud, sand, and then the painter comes back. So all the little things, kind of the whole scope. Details. Right, the whole Here scope. Here we go with the details. <laughs> um, and kind of that's how I learned. Mm-hmm. But I've always kind of been a good manager. And mm-hmm. so I don't remember what year it was, but when I guess the last little recession hit that we had, I was working for them and they got rid of a bunch of people and kept me and running around like a chicken with my head cut off. I think I was making eighteen dollars an hour. Yeah, it was like I need like twenty two, twenty three dollars an hour, which is nothing for a company that I was working for. And they wouldn't do it. And I was doing at that point. I had started doing side work, and so I yeah. was making as much on the weekends as I was during the week. So yeah. So I should say I didn't say this in your intro, but you know we met. Well, we met through a friend, a mutual friend. But you helped us with our basement. And you were amazing, obviously, or we wouldn't have you on the podcast. Um, and I loved working with you. And I remember one of the things that I loved about you and what I think works so well with us is that you were very upfront about HIT and like your commitments there and that that was priority. And I think for us, we appreciated having time to figure things out mm-hmm. and to make some choices. And you not, from a contractor perspective, feeling like all this pressure to meet your deadline. I don't know. Just I felt like it was a very good marriage in that respect in terms of working together. So so then you started to augment your... You yeah, I mean, I kind of went from... All right, well, I'm doing what I I'm making what I am on the during the week mm-hmm. on the weekends. Like I don't definitely. necessarily have a line of work, but if I can keep it going, like it's a no-brainer, right? Cuz 5 days, if I do that 5 days, it's two and a half times what I'm doing on the weekend. Are it's, you someone that can't really sit still for very long? I get bored quickly. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. want to be doing something. Yeah. Um, not necessarily like I'm pretty bad. I don't want to go home and work on my own house. And I don't know if that's a money thing or what it is, but when I get home, I'm done with it. Like I want to just relax, relax, yeah. or do whatever. I'm very good at starting projects at my house and not finishing. <laughs> so your poor um, wife. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, that's what so, we get to say about our spouses that don't do it. Like, so that's I mean, that's that yeah. Honestly, one of the things that I'm working on to better myself is yeah. to if I start a project at home to finish it or doing more around the house. Like I'm now I'm pretty good at, Oh, I got a guy that can do this. Let's just pay him and do it. Oh yeah. And it gets done, but it's like, why are you paying this guy to do what you can do? Well, to just, you I, know what I mean? But again, it's your own break. house. And so, but all right. So let's talk about, I know you had um, your own business for a while. So tell me a little bit about what prompted you to start your own business and then tell me that story because it's quite a story yeah I mean again that goes back to money and mm-hmm. you know I could do what what I was doing on the weekends during yeah. the week and I made the decision when I couldn't get a raise that this is what I was going to do and we did really well um, I was in business for about 10 years uh, we grew exponentially probably too fast 
all yeah. set in the end. Yeah. Didn't have the correct tools and probably people at my disposal to become the million dollar company that I became for the quick period yeah. that it was there. Not really, hey, there's money in the bank. I just need somebody to manage this. But ultimately, like I learned that that all falls back on me, right? So because there's money there today doesn't mean there's going to be money tomorrow. And when people are saying we need this and we need that, and you're like, okay, that's cool. Let's get it. And then all of a sudden, where's all the money at, right? We've spent it and not really put any thought process into it. And what do we have coming down the road and kind of that plan and... Again, I just think like um, a real business plan. A real was, business plan. Right. Like we, I think I tried to put one together, but never really put one together. Um, and I didn't have the right people in place. Like I did not have a system of accounting. Like I mean, what put me eventually put me out of business was paying taxes out of an account that had been closed for two years because you get the receipt from the IRS saying, "Hey, this is paid." And then one day you get home from vacation and there's a notice on your door that you're getting a lien. It's like, whoa, how did this happen? I'm paying somebody to take care of this, but I'm not overseeing that because you trusted that they. I'm were trusting doing that they're thing. doing their thing, but I'm just out there for the building portion of it, and that's not how you can you can't be successful, right? When you get that big, you've got to know you've got to know as the owner all the ins and outs of what's going on within your company, because ultimately you're the one that pays for it. Yeah. Whatever happens down the road. How many people did you have working for you? Like I know you probably had a lot of. Contractors, right? 1099. I had, I had like, um, 1099 guys. I, I've had, I had up to 10 people working for me, typically four to five. Um, I found that I needed to have at least two jobs going on at a time. Um, three was great. It could get to be hectic. One of the biggest things that I found that I had problems with was finding good labor and the good labor that spoke English. Because obviously, if you got guys in the house that can't communicate with the homeowner, then you've got to be right on top of them. Mm -hmm. And as you grow, you can't be in the field, you can't be in the office kind of managing. There's only one, per right. only one you. Right. And that's yeah. kind of what I think got me in the end was just not having that business plan, not having a guy that can kind of run the field, the right people in place in the office, and me kind of overseeing that yeah. the right way. Do you feel like with that whole situation, obviously, like someone betrayed you, essentially, right? Would you say, or um, how do you? I think I got sell, sold a bill of goods mm -hmm. for the person that was working for me that um, was not correct, really capable, not capable of what she was doing. I I can one hundred percent say that she was an elder to me, so there was a respect factor there, and I had a hard time saying no. Because I looked at it like, oh, well, you're 60, 65, and I'm 35, and you, must you, know, better. you know better than I do. Mm -hmm. And so what I definitely learned from that was that's not necessarily the case that if you're out there and you own your own company, it's your company. If you don't, if you don't think something's right, you say no, or you stop it and put the thought into it and make sure that the path you're going down is probably correct for what you're doing as opposed to just letting somebody lead you down yeah. that path because that's not necessarily correct. And I think it's a great sort of cautionary tale in terms of if you have something you're really good at and it's lucrative, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a successful business because there's a lot that goes into running a business that isn't just you being good at the thing that you're good at. And I think people don't always know that. And you had a lot of success 
early and for a sustained period of time. It's not like you were dropping the no, bucket. No, I, I think it, it, all, it absolutely starts to change when you get more than, say, two or three guys working for you. Yeah. And then all yeah. of a sudden you've got this huge payroll that yeah. you've got to meet weekly yeah. plus the payroll taxes. I mean, that's yeah. those are commitments, right? You mm-hmm. These guys have to take food, money yes. home, to put food on the table. And right. you're ultimately, you're responsible for that. Aaron feeding. As long as they're showing up and doing their end of the, yeah. the bargain. How did you, that's obviously, to, to have that kind of success and to probably feeling like you're thriving and then to all of a sudden know that that's not the case and in fact you were probably more in debt than you were had income. How did you handle that? How do you sort of bounce back from that? Yeah, uh, I mean, there was... And you're your, married, I guess. Right, like, absolutely. You kids yeah. and the whole um, thing. So ultimately, owning your own company when you're smaller like we are, there's ups that are they're the highest of highs, right? Yeah. And then there's the downs that are can be the lowest of lows. And one of my issues was I took work home with me. You know, I made sure I paid all my guys. Yeah. And then, you know, it there was always money. It was just stress. It caused stress, right? How are we going to... We're going to be a little bit short this year, this month. We can use the credit card. And we never went too deep into debt. It was nothing I couldn't dig myself out of except when we got to the IRS. That right. was a whole different ball game. I mean, I met with attorneys towards the end, and they flat out told me, close your company down if you want to keep doing it. Start a new company under a new name. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Envision Custom Builders had a name. It was out there. And me being the guy that I am, I said, I can rebuild. So I can make this work. And I took, I took a $50,000 loan out of the bank to try to keep it going. And two years after that loan, I took that loan out. I was I, I closed the business down, mm. and I should have should have listened. But you know you're young and you're cocky, Stammering, and yeah. that and I mean I built that right. It's like anything else. If that's your passion, it's it's your job, but it's also your passion. Right. It's, it was my baby. Yeah. And so I didn't want to see it go. I didn't want to start over, and that's kind of the path I took. But then it just it fizzled out, and it. And so then how did you recover? So is that like some people would just go in the fetal position and be like, no, I mean, towards the end, it was winding down. I was having a hard time keeping good help. Mm -hmm. I found myself back in the field working with my hands Mm -hmm. after 10 years. It's like, I don't mind jumping in when needed, but I definitely didn't expect myself to be out tying a bathroom, like doing the hands on all day work. And that's kind of, I'd been talking to Hit. I have a buddy that worked at Hit. We talked off and on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I, we were that slow. I didn't want to do what I was doing. And we talked and they made an offer and I counter offered and it's history. Yeah. That was five years ago in August. And like it's been a good experience for you. And like you're, yeah, it seems I, like you're I, thriving. I you're... wish I'd had done it two years prior. Um, I had the yeah. opportunity. But again, it was holding on to yeah. my baby. Yeah. Um, yeah. If I had done it two years, I'd have two more years under my belt. I'd probably be a senior superintendent at this point, just because of the experience of being at HIT for seven and a half yeah. years. Um, so I'd be a little bit further along in my career at HIT, which obviously with every promotion you get, you make more money. Yeah. Um, so. Can we talk a little bit about, um, because I think it's so important, and I, I would love your perspective on trades in general and... I grew up in corporate America and I've had corporate jobs all my career until I decided to do my own thing. And I feel like, in a, particularly in this area, obviously socioeconomic plays a piece of this, but there's just, 
you know, you, you go to you go to high school, you go to college, you get your, you know, and mm-hmm. I just don't think there's enough education. I don't think there's enough exposure mm-hmm. and I don't think there's enough, frankly, like support or even ways for people to understand what opportunities are available. And I think there has been mm-hmm. some shift of saying, is there really a return on investment on degrees after a while? Like you have a lot of people getting liberal arts degrees that are ending college in a ton of debt and have real, no job opportunities and and so I'm a, I'm a fan of college and I'm a fan of college for people that want to go yep. and it's the right path but tell me about how important they are and how you they are lucrative and just maybe a commercial is basically uh, what you know what yeah, you think I mean, about that Obviously, I would you know I I think the trades themselves and when when I say trades yeah like you should define it I guess what? the I'm speaking specifically of kind of like the unions because that's out of high school if that's what okay. I was gonna do I'd, I'd want to get into one of those unions not everybody agrees with unions but by going into the union you're going they all have a four to five year program where you go to school once or twice a week and before you're a full-on mechanic you have to go through that school. You have to pass you that test, yeah. right? And you get a pay bump every year or whatever it is. But you're learning mm-hmm. through hands-on plus going to the school, learning how to um, read plans, learning how fittings go together. When you start out, you're a laborer, but you're making pretty good money. The one thing I kind of see, because I see it in my son. My son actually um, recently got into the elevator union, oh, but cool. he is number 89 out of 100 people on the bench. So 89, 88 people have to be hired before it gets to him. Problem is he's 19, doesn't have experience. So the test and the interview process he went through when they go, tell us how you've solved this problem in your career to this point. I was in high school six months ago. I have, you know what I mean? I haven't done that. So that's kind of maybe more specific to the elevator union. It's very difficult to get into. Um, But the other trades, I would say, they should be pushing in the high schools more, trying to recruit the kids and showing that there is a career right, that yeah. when you're when you're you know thirty five years old, you can be making six. I mean, not even thirty five years old. Once you're a mechanic, if you want to work, you can make six figures. Mm-hmm. Now, six figures where we're at is almost a bare minimum, right? But yeah. with overtime. Yeah. Um, there's money to be made. And if you're married and have a family and it's a two income family, you can make enough money to survive. And let's, maybe let's define it. So you mentioned carpenter, you mentioned elevator. There's what is uh, there's plumbing? electrical, it's electrical plumbing, plumbing, pipe fitting would be Ooh, pipe more fitting. pipe fitting is like, it's sort of like a plumber. Uh, they do uh, mechanical equipment, welding. Um, it's bigger type commercial stuff. My son um, has mentioned welding. So it's like a possible I, interest. My son got, I paid for my son to get certified in welding. Okay. Um, that was one of the things that with the elevator Did union, they do a lot of welding. That was going to give him a leg up when he applied. So I paid for him. He went down, actually was right uh, in Charlottesville. Um, it was like I'm a three-week three program. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And he loved it. Yeah. Now, he hasn't done anything with it since a year ago when he went because he got into the elevator union. But now he's actually working as a laborer for one of my subcontractors yeah. on my job site waiting to get the phone call to get hired. Yeah. But any of the unions right now today, you could call, it's the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. Uh-huh. You can call there, I don't know what their union number is, but you can call them right now 
and you can get hired on it. You know what would be kind of cool, and maybe they have something like this, but I wonder if there's a program where you can get some type of exposure to the different unions or trades, mm-hmm. because I don't, what if you don't know? Like, what if, and, and that was the other question I had for you is, you said you were pretty good with your hands. It kind of connected like you were good at, but what if do you have to be inherently good or can you be taught, right? Is there, I mean, there's... Absolutely. I mean, I think any, any anything, of this stuff, right? you can be taught anything, right? And I think yeah. it's, if you don't know what you want to do, right? And yeah. you go into any of these trades, you can start off making money and then you can always change careers, right? Yeah. But out of, out of high school, there's a lot of kids that are not immature, but not mature enough not to know where they're yet, going. Yeah. And school's not for them right now today, right? So maybe two years down the road, mm-hmm. it is. So they get a little bit of experience in the real world, yeah. working with their hands, learning a trade, whether they finish the program or not. And then they make a decision. Maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I do want to go to school. And then they go to school, and they're not wasting the two years in school that they maybe would have otherwise wasted going, this isn't for me, and starting right. over, right? It's kind of the reverse. Is there something where you can get exposure to everything or not really? Not that I know of off the top of my head. But I guess within the program at like HIT where you do everything, you might get exposure to like... You see all that every day. Right. Right. And if if I'm a laborer and I'm out there, you can see what's going on. Maybe I don't want to take the 10 years or whatever it would take. I mean, obviously, if you're smart and you're a problem solver and you're a go-getter and you want to work, like that's half the battle, right? Yeah, so that's... That's so it's yeah. the go get it, I want to do this attitude. You're going to get places faster in life. And that's in any yeah. career. I don't care yeah. where you're at. Yeah. Um, people see that and you're going to want to be taught. And you're going to pick up what you're, where you're at and what you're doing. It's going to yeah, that, that's my next question, actually. You're like reading my mind with respect to, for you, in addition to being good at it and feeling like you're kind of equipped, you took to it well and it obviously kind of took off in terms of your own business. But what do you think in your field are the kind of critical success factors for people in the environment to thrive? Like what are the things that you think set people apart? We are busy scheduling relatable interviews for 2023 and we love our relatable community. If you or someone you know would be a good guest for relatable, let us know. You can send an email to info at tfasoftskills.com. Include the potential guest name and contact information. Please send all suggestions to info at tfasoftskills.com. People that just, you get out there, you have, you have a passion for the construction, construction industry as a whole, right? Like where I'm at, we're a general contractor. We're a yeah. GC. So we are... We see bits of everything, mm-hmm. and we have a passion for, I guess, building the building, right? But the trades are, they get into the plumbing, and it's putting the stuff together on a smaller scale. Mm-hmm. If yeah. I think, again, if the want and the, the, the yeah. go-get-it kind of attitude, I, I mean, I think anybody that's successful in life has the drive, yeah. right? You see it, you like it, okay, I'm going to go do this. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what you're doing in life, but you got to have, have that drive. If you have that drive, there's people who love what they do. But they don't have that drive, and they so they're the status quo superintendent their entire life, right? Because they're here, they love what they're doing, but maybe they don't want to get to that upper management mm-hmm. level. But if you have the want and the drive, I think you can go as far as you want to go in the construction field 
if you have that drive and the want behind you. Like, I don't think, I mean, obviously there's a top where there is a ceiling, but you can get close to the top. Yeah. And I think that's important to, like, if there's a myth out there that there's no career path or that you can't be ambitious or that you can't be a driver, like, you absolutely can within that framework if you want to be. Yep. And there's opportunities absolutely. to take, for sure. So let's talk a little bit too, just about in terms of your path, whether it was within, I mean, it really can be at any point, but I, I am interested when I talk to people about, for you, would you say along the way, there was either like an event or a person or something that kind of shaped you, that helped you to be the way that you are? Like when you think about being driven or you think about kind of having that go get it. And I think... You know, people use hard worker a lot, and that's kind of a mysterious, like, what does that really mean? But I, after working with you, like, I think you you have that energy about right. you and that attention to you want it to be right. Yep. It's not okay to just be okay. Like, it's got to be better than okay or, you know, the best it can be. So tell me where you've had some influence So I'm in kind way. of like an all or nothing guy. Okay. Um, <laughs> for everything I do in life. Yeah, yeah. I'm also a guy that you either love me or you hate me. Because I can be a lot. I'm... Always the loudest guy in the room, naturally. People don't necessarily like that. But my dad was a Marine. Very, um, I'm not going to use the word discipline, but there was like, hey, did you squeeze you to shower? And very Marine-like, set in your ways. The Marines are, the, like, everybody knows the Marines. Like, you get up in the morning, you make your bed, you take your, very regimented, right? So I've got some of that rubbed off on me. But, you know, I, I love sports. And to be good in sports, you and achieve what you want, to excel, you have to practice hard, you have to lift weights. And so that kind of, to me, pushes over into the real world, right? If you're going to be successful in anything in life, you have to do that kind of extra mile to get to where you want to get. I'm a very passionate guy. That's honestly, we were just talking about this last week at work. It's probably my greatest trait mm -hmm. but it might be my worst trait at the same time right because when i'm way up here passionate and i can get loud and like why isn't everybody else where i'm at it's like well maybe i'm overly passionate about something or trying to get something done where i'm not seeing somebody else's point of view or because mm -hmm. they're not getting it the way i'm getting it right now maybe we're not completing the job when it needs to be completed and why why can't we get there it, maybe you're not as empathetic as you could be. Right. Like if you're, yeah. like if right. you're on a path right. and, and you have a mission boom, boom, and you're boom, passionate right. about that mission, so, it's um, kind of who cares about the casualties along the way. Right. Uh, not necessarily <laughs> that much, but yes, yeah. it's that's it. I get loud and I'll yeah. yell. Not everybody takes yelling, whether it's – nothing's ever personal, right? It's business. Right. Yeah. But I can talk to you. I know – there's a specific superintendent at Hit that I worked under when I first got here who I've never seen him raise his voice, and he'll get the same exact results that I get when I raise my voice, right? So there's obviously two paths, and right. people react differently that, right? So nobody wants to be yelled at, uh -huh. right? So that's something, again, that in my career, that's what I have to work on is, right? I can achieve what needs to be achieved by not getting way up here and, you know, yeah. necessarily screaming and not talking down, but maybe make people feel like I'm talking down on them because we're not where we need to be or they're not where they need to be. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Totally. It, totally. And I think when you're in the line of work that you're in and the role that you're in, there's a lot of pressure. 
there's pressure with deadlines. There's you have the intersection of deadline plus you actually have a thing <laughs> that represents. You know, like so you oh. you not only do you have the deadline, but like physically a thing is either right or we're, wrong. We're, right. There's no right. in between. Well, and we're right? so we're very schedule oriented. Yeah. We have dates. The job I'm on right now has fifty thousand dollar a day liquidated damages if we're not done and they're not moved in on say December fifth. So, right, that time, like, in the beginning when we asked guys, hey, we should probably work a little bit over. Let's work 10-hour days up in the front of the job. So, when we get to the end of the job, we're not working 16-hour days and up against it, right? Let's use some of that now. We know this is coming. And that's always a fight that we have. Mm -hmm. So, it doesn't necessarily happen like that, but absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about, I mentioned this to you before in my world of soft skills development and talk about passion. That's one of my huge passions is trying to help people understand that regardless of your path um, in your profession, that in my opinion, soft skills are the differentiator. So if you can be technically competent in something, that's great, but so can a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So what, what makes a difference is how you relate to people and your interpersonal skills. And so if I were to ask you either personally for, for yourself, like what's helped you to be successful or given that you're in an industry where you're seeing a lot of entry-level talent and you're seeing people either <laughs> succeed or not, like what are the one or two soft skills that you think are important? And by that, I mean, I'll give you kind of the umbrella terms, but tell me what, what kind of sticks out for you. Communication, collaboration, influence, the kind of softer skills that augment kind of what you do professionally. Yeah, so, I mean, I think you have to be able to communicate, Yeah. right? If you're, one of the things we see, we see with our entry level guys is like, I don't know what you don't know, right? Okay. So when I task you with something, you don't, don't walk away and not do it or try to do it, get it, spend two days on it, come back. And it's like, not what's supposed to be. You didn't know it. So communicate with us that, Hey, I'm not, I haven't done this before. You know, can you walk me through this? And you know, that way I can go out and do what you're asking me to do. So that's one of the big things I see with the younger guys. It's also just, uh, you know, I hate to say life and being young, but it's true. They're young and they just, they haven't developed maybe the um, people skill and kind of the work ethic um, in terms of they're still in college. Like I can get up and be 10 minutes late to class and nobody's going to notice, right? It's the real world, right? right? You're here now. If we start at 6, we should be here probably at 5.50, mm-hmm. not at 6.05. Yeah. I think that's one thing I will say that just in terms of working with you, like your responsiveness and I would think in your line of work, being responsive is so important. Like if you're somebody that when I am texting you or when I need you or something's not right with the job, you know, that you being responsive takes all of that agita and stress out of the way. So now we just deal with the thing at hand versus like if you're someone that I'm coming at you and I've got issues and problems and you're like, eh, I'm going to wait an hour before I talk to her. I think that responsiveness is so, at least I found that to be true in working with you. And I would imagine in your line of work, it's Yeah, absolutely. Huge. So we, we have to communicate with the client right. and the construction manager on a daily basis, right? So when we're communicating, like I tell these subs, like if you don't have something or you're not going to be done at a certain time, like don't lie about it or cover it up. If you tell me, what is going on right now, I can turn that into what needs to be turned into 
and communicate it to the client and the CM or whoever and let them know that, hey, we're maybe not where we, we are supposed to be right here today. Yeah. But five days from now, we'll be there and we'll be back on track doing accomplishing what needs to be accomplished, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's not going to affect the job's completion date or whatever. And that's, I mean, that's a huge thing is just, again, it I sounds, guess it goes back to the communi- yeah. communication thing, but it's that Maybe you try to cover things wrong, up. Or, right? fear, fear of be, or fear of like not just telling you they don't know how to do it. Yeah, I think there's a lot more involved probably on upper level management sides of it that, you know, let's mm-hmm. not, people covering things up. But again, it all boils back down to, it's easier for me to manage everything if I know everything that's going yeah. on. And I should. Yeah. Absolutely should. But I think these these trades and they get behind and they don't want to tell you they're behind. I'm probably going a completely different direction now. <laughs> it's but, okay. No, uh, I think it's good. No, I, I appreciate it. I think there's a kind of a relationship between what I asked you in terms of people being kind of accountable. Yep. It's like accountability for what they said they're doing. You do what you yep. say, say what you do. Yep. It's pretty basic, right. but at the same time, when you don't, it can have huge it's, impact. It's a snowball effect, For, yeah, right? Yeah, financial impact. So I'm expecting yeah. somebody to be done here so we can start the next task. Yeah. And so that just kind of, well, now we're two days behind here, two days yeah. behind here, and it just is a trickle-down effect. Yeah. All right, so then let's talk about, we, we chatted about this a little bit before, but as you think about young Jason... And you think about uh, your path to this point. First of all, I love how honest you were about things that you said you're like working on because I love that like, you know, we're all working on things all the time. So I guess for you in terms of how you've got to this point so far, what what do you think if you were to give your maybe like 20 year old self or 25 year old self some advice that would make the path a little easier? What would you tell him? I would absolutely, and I'm kind of tearing up because, as you know, my father passed away in yeah. December, so. Yeah, I'm so sorry about that. Yeah. I would absolutely say, listen to your parents. They're not, yeah. <clears throat> you're 17 or 18 years old, and you think you know yeah, what no. what's out there in the world, yeah. but you're still a, a young, young, dumb kid. And uh, I would have absolutely, going back gone into the elevator I mean I love what I'm doing now but I look back and I know like those guys are making money hand over fist and there's there's a path uh, behind that like my dad retired from the union and became an elevator inspector and so he was retired making over 100k a year with a very it's a it's a real job yeah but he got the skill to inspect the elevators and make over 100k a year working part-time during the week when he was in his 70s you know yeah. and he did that because he went through the elevator union retired from the elevator union like i said they are the top paid mm-hmm. trade out there and there's i mean you can be 25 26 27 years old making 100 100 to 150k yeah. a year depending on if you get through the school and do you want to work overtime? Yeah. You know, do you so. think part of that is just like, it's an, I, I love that you said that because I think there's something innate being that teenage brain that is like so repellent right. of, of the parents. You want to be it's your just, own, you, you want to separate and you want to be your own right. person. But it, it's like, 
the idea that they are kind of looking out for you and they want what's best for yep. you and it's just hard to like you're a parent and you have right. you're a parent of an 18 year old right and, and so it's, and he is well, 19 he's on a completely different path than i was he's mm-hmm. 19 years old with fourteen thousand dollars in his bank account he saves his money he's got a plan he wants his money to start working for him. Passive income is all I hear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, so, yeah. but you know, like I have to shut him down. Like he wants to quit his job now and start day trading. And oh I'm like, gosh. listen, you can more than welcome to do it. Yeah. Rent's due on the first of the month, right? Yeah. So, it's it's a fine line to steer them away from what might not be a great entrepreneurial yeah. idea at 19. You know, you don't yeah. want to stop them from going out and becoming that star, but also sure. kind of keep them on the line. Like, because you've been through the yeah. that's the other thing, like, you've been through it, and so you have this perspective and experience that they just don't have, and right. they can't, they don't know that till they've been through it, you yeah. know. But this is, I, I am so appreciative of you coming and sitting down with me, and I, I love your energy and your passion, and I feel like it's been a great conversation around certainly enough to give what you do and the trades that surround what you do exposure. I guess the only other thing I would ask you just before we wrap up is if you're somebody that wants to do something like this and you just don't know, where can people go to get more information? Like if you're in high school, obviously you can go to your career center, I'm yep. guessing, or like your, your like counseling I, I mean, I would say school. if you're interested in something like this, any of the big, and I say big contractors in the yeah. area, you could go make a phone call, but then I guess you need to find out who those big contractors <laughs> yeah. are, right? So. And then you, I mean, every day on the radio on the way into work, I hear a commercial for the electrical union, the pipe fitters union, and the plumbers union right now. They're all hiring. Yeah. So I hear that on the radio, and I would mm-hmm. think, like you said, at the career center in high school. Yeah, thank you so much. Absolutely. You're the best. It made me cry. I'm excited to meet you. Thank you, Jason, for your time and advice. I enjoyed talking with you about your passion for construction and how it helped shape your career. Hearing your thoughts around the importance of communication is especially relevant for all entry-level workers. Make sure you speak up when you have a question and aren't sure how to do something. If not, it can have a negative impact on your reputation and cost money. And I really appreciate Jason's vulnerability in talking about his dad and how listening to your parents can be impactful, even when you may not want to. Thank you to Missy for producing this episode and to Hannah for your support. A huge thank you to our Relatable community. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment and subscribe either on YouTube or your favorite streaming platform. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills, and you can find more information about Relatable and our sponsor by visiting www tfasoftskills.com. Until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable. Stay connected.